From Unity of the Valley Spiritual Center in Vacaville, California. Good morning again. I'm Reverend Sonia Milton. And again, I want to tell you what a pleasure it is to be with you this morning. And what I have to say today in the title of my talk is yes, in spite of everything. So I have a friend um, in Napa where we live. And she and her husband used to have a dye house where they dyed fabric and supplied it to clothing factories. And one of the factories they, um, they used was the Burlington um, Clothing Factory. The headquarters are in... Um, Greensboro, North Carolina, and they went there on a tour, and they showed her their comfort testing room. It was a glass room that you could see through. It had uncomfortable furniture. It wasn't air-conditioned, and this was North Carolina in the summer, where it's hot and humid. And they explained that their comfort testing room was a burned-out job. But they would get college students to do this particular job because they could study while they were doing it as long as they could stand it. And they would sit in this awful room testing the comfort of the clothing that the factory made because they thought they were made uncomfortable on purpose because comfortable people might not notice a scratchy seam, a loose button, a loose thread. But what they found that if you are uncomfortable to begin with, any discomfort, uncomfortableness is amplified. So this, I think this is a great story because it really um, supports what we're going through right now. A pandemic, recent heat, especially this weekend coming, sheltering in place, fires, smoke, and uncertainty, lots of loss and uncertainty is affecting everything from the dependability of the post office to whether we're going to be um, get this invisible virus that we can't even see. So I believe we are currently in a comfort testing experience. And so with that, I've just been thinking about freedom because, you know, I've seen these posts, we want our freedom. We're not going to wear a mask because we want our freedom. And I was reminded of that song um, that Janis Joplin sings, that song by, that she sang by Chris Christopherson, uh, me and Bobby McGee, where she would say, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And so to decide whether life is worth living is a very interesting um, thought. To decide whether life is worth living is to answer a fundamental question of philosophy, wrote Albert Camus in 1942 in his book, The Myth of Sisyphus. To decide whether life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. Everything else is child's play we must, first of all, answer the question, is life worth living? And sometimes life does ask us and bring us that question, not as a thought experiment, not as something we discuss over a cup of tea or um, a beer or a glass of wine here in the valley, but as a gauntlet that's um, hurled with the raw brutality of living. Now, in that same year, in 1947, a 37-year-old Vietnamese um, neurologist and psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl was taken to Auschwitz, the infamous concentration camp, along with one million other human beings robbed of the basic 
um, freedom to answer this question for themselves. Is life worth living? Instead, they were deemed unworthy of living. Some of them um, survived by reading, some of them by humor, some of them just by pure chance, but 100.1 million of them did not. So Frankel himself lost his mother, his father, his brother, his wife. It's been said that his own life was spared by the lightly braided lifeline of chance, choice, and character. Now, a mere, ninth, uh, 11, a mere 11 months after he survived the unsurvivable, he began giving a series of lectures. A set of lectures that he called, Is Life Worth Living? And he took the um, material in these lectures and by himself edited them and published them in a small, very potent book just as he was completing the well-known book so many of us know. I know a lot of us studied it in college. We studied it, of course, in seminary. The book called Man's Search for Meaning. You're probably familiar with it. But originally it was called From Death Camp to Existentialism. I like Man's Search for Meaning, although I'd like men and, men and women's search for meaning, of course. All people, whatever way that you identify yourself. So his main th thesis here was that we create our own meaning. It's the last of human freedoms to choose when you're given a particular set of circumstances. Your house might be burning down. You might have the virus. There is this uncertainty. But this other book that he published himself, edited himself, has only recently been available in English. Now remember, he'd come out of the camps, he lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his career, he lost his seemingly everything, and found himself really searching for that deepest source of meaning. And the title of this other book, the title of the one that, he, that was a compilation of all these lectures, that was called, Yes to Life in Spite of Everything, published in 1946. And he begins by considering this question, is life worth living? Today, he wrote, we are aware that inner progress is only actually possible for each individually. We do our own work. And while the Holocaust, of course, um, dispirited and disenchanted humanity, he argues that it, it also demonstrated that, that what is human is still valid, that it's all a question of the individual human being. And he reflects when looking back on the brutality that he saw and, and experienced himself, what remained was the person, the human being, and nothing else. He went on to write, everything had fallen away from them during those years. Money, power, fame, nothing was certain anymore. Not health, not happiness, all had been called into question. Vanity, ambition, relationships, everything was reduced to bare existence. Everything that was not essential was melted down. How then, Frankel wonders, how does one find a sense of meaning? The great Indian playwright and philosopher, poet, Rabindranath Tagore, maybe I said it right, who, by the way, was the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize for literature. He was also Albert Einstein's one-time conversation partner, and they discussed science and spirituality. He wrote this verse. I slept and dreamt 
that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was duty. I worked, and behold, duty was joy. So maybe this um, joy, this byproduct of living is, is our authenticity and our integrity that arises spontaneously. That it's a, the goal is the outcome of what we do. The outcome of this fulfillment that he called duty. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, there was a monastery in a valley surrounded by foothills and hills and mountains. And in this monastery lived um, monks, and a particular monk, but he felt that he was making no progress at all with his spirituality. He'd been there for years. He felt like nothing was going on for him inwardly. So he decided to leave. And he thought he would go back to his old life as a fisherman. So he set out in the valley with his few things on his back, a walking stick with his sandals. And he hadn't gone very far at all when he stubbed his toe. And it hurt. It was excruciating pain. I mean, he could not even go on. And it was in that moment, so he hadn't gone far at all. In that moment, he had this epiphany, this awakening, that it didn't matter at all where he was. Because it's all happening right now. It's not, there's not a geographical uh, cure. It's right here, right now. And so he went back to the um, monastery. And when he arrives, the monk, monk said to his fellow monks, what happened to you? You made such a stink about nothing happening. And you took off. And he says, it doesn't matter where I am. It's all right now. And that that knowing is the most freeing thing possible. When all is taken away, what we have left is how we respond to what comes forward. And I know in my practice over this last period of time, I don't even know how long it's been, right? It's just been, it seems like forever, and it's just been since March, really, that we've had this other experience of living. And then, of course, those of us here in Napa Valley and Vacaville area, we have had also these devastating fires and devastating smoke and heat. And we continue to be called to how do we respond to this now? And again, in my practice, what I've been working with, and thank goodness we all have a practice, that's why we are here in Unity, isn't it? To create and to enhance our practice. I just love it when people say, I can't meditate. And I say, who can? That's why it's a practice. We don't sit there in bliss. We are, and maybe some of us do, and I want to know who that is. Which one of you does that? But what we do get to do is to notice what comes by. Is it a thought? Is it a fear? Is it a, an odor? Is it a car? Is it a child's voice? Is it my dog barking at the door? And aside, I, I lead a a Zoom meditation every Thursday at 5 o'clock and people come on to it. And yesterday, or last week, I was in that meditation and I was just finishing it when my, and I do it in my living room, there was a banging on the door and I tried to, then the doorbell is going and then there's banging and then there's a doorbell. And at that point it was clear to me that was not something to ignore. It was something I had to address. So I 
said that to my fellow meditators and I went to the door and it was the two little girls in masks, eight and seven, from next door whose jump rope had gone over the fence into our yard, which to them was like the most serious thing of all. So I sent them back out to the backyard where Hal and our grandson were and they handled it. But it's like, how do we respond in this moment to what comes to us right now? And how can we continue to stay present in this moment with this breath, with this consciousness, as there's chaos around it. What was something a friend of mine used to say? To find lucidity in the midst of madness. I love that. So, when all is taken away, all we have left is how to respond. What is the meaning that you make, that I make? Yes to life, in spite of everything. Do you remember this parable? Um, it's one of my favorites, and I've probably shared it with you before. Absolutely one of my favorites. It's from um, the, I don't know, it's from Matthew, and I don't have in front of me where it's from, but it's from the, the Gospel of Matthew. He did these wonderful par uh, parables about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now remember... Jesus is trying to, it is said, that he's trying to give us an experience of a consciousness. And that the way he does that is in the language of the time. And I think all the biblical writers that we read are trying to do that. They have an experience of consciousness. How do you talk about that? How do you talk about um, an inner awakening and a fire? You have a fire that's burning that doesn't go out as Moses had that experience. Or Elijah on the mountain with God not in the wind and not in the earthquake and not in the whirlwind, but in the still, small voice. So Jesus supposedly said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it, bought that one pearl. And that pearl, you know, that, that knowing, what, what the monk experienced out, out on the valley floor when he stubbed his toe. The experience we're having in the midst of all the craziness going on in our world today. When we have that awareness of it's all right here, right now. And how I respond is my freedom. It's my truth. What are we willing to sell? What are we willing to lose? We each have to find our own meaning. And in doing so, we retain our body, our mind, our spirit. Perhaps to sell, perhaps to lose all that we have. We talk about the essential workers. What's essential to us when everything's taken away? When we had the fires, I think, in 2017, um, we were, you know, we live in Napa Valley in the, in the north part of the city of Napa, and uh, we had lost, um, we, hadn't, we didn't lose anything. Our electricity was off. Our cell phones weren't working. We had no way to really... It was after that that we bought the, the portable generator. This was before that. And we were sort of going... Anyway, a friend came over and said, come on, I'm taking you home with me. And so we needed to fill up some things in the car. And what we realized, what was essential to us? You know, we had some cash. I had my new boots. We had our dog, our new dog that we'd had a week, who wasn't even trained. He'd come out of a shelter. He wasn't even, um, you know, trained to do what he had to do in the appropriate place. 
my laptop computer, and just a few other things because we realized we had each other, we had our dog, and we got out with both cars. And we soon came back. And, you know, but that was so interesting in that moment. What was essential to us? And we realized nothing mattered. Nothing else mattered. And I, I liked that. I liked that that was our response at that time. Frankel tells us that we misunderstand freedom. That we love the liberty part, but we forget the responsibility part. He wanted San Francisco to build a statue of responsibility to mirror the Statue of Liberty in New York. That was a very strong thing for him. So, how are we making meaning out of this time? There's never been anything like this in our lifetimes. This time of pandemic, of uh, social and political upheaval, of uncertainty, of living in our own version of a comfort testing room, right? That the heart of life is this quest for meaning and for taking responsibility for who I am. So I have some questions for us to ponder. What do you know in your heart, in your heart of hearts, about your own life being worth living? What, what does that bring up? How do you feel? Do you know that you are worth everything? Or if you listen to some of those voices of others, um, whether real or imagined, that tell you you're not worth much. And I'm telling you, you are worth everything, for you are a child of God. A child of spirit. A divine being in this incredible universe that we inhabit. And then what's worth holding on to? What's being released either by you consciously or by these current circumstances of living through a pandemic? Barely harnessed wildfires, smoky air, a heightened awareness of what social and political justice destroys and creates. Every day there's something new in the news. You know, we've got to take a news break every once in a while. How has your lifetime of choices led you to who you are and where you are now? Not that you did it wrong or, you know, not to let go of any, to include it all, to see that progression and that the choices you're able to make now with who you know that you are. And what is left to lose? What is left to lose? And what does that have to do with your inner life, your true soul life, that, that experience that runs parallel to everyday experiences, to whether you come or go, whether you put your mask on or forget it, whether you're doing your social distancing, washing your hands. Everybody has their own level of comfort at this time, right? And we come up to it and we need to respect that and respect those of us who have the most stringent um, rules and regulations about how we live during this time of pandemic. Some don't believe it's anything at all. And some of us stay in and don't venture out at all. Where are you on that continuum? And what does that say about who you are? So there's that parallel life, that inner 
experience. That of you that knows that you know that you know that you know. That of you that is connected um, cosmically to every living being on the planet. And I love that we've opened up our definitions of who we are. We identify in one gender. We act out in another. That, that all of that is included. All of it. I love that. I just absolutely love that. A yoga friend of mine wrote this little poem and um, sent it out, and I just wanted to share it with you. In the mists, the mists, the smoke of alchemy, we are in legendary times. Being gentle with ourselves and with others is essential right now. These aren't the times to righteously hold on to our positions. These are times of forgiveness, of holding our beliefs in gentle, loving ways as we release those beliefs that no longer serve us and others. Yes to life in spite of everything, for there's nothing left to lose. Shalom, namaste, many blessings. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unity of the Valley Spiritual Center. Our services are every Sunday, 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock at 350 North Orchard Avenue in Vacaville, California. You can support our podcast by making a donation at www.unityvacaville.org. Just.